the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Cannabis Sativa. If you're currently a, a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at Sativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at Sativa. Feel free to check out our official Twitter account at Podcast. You can also find and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Anchor FM, Stitcher, and the Google Play Music Store. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump out the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a supporter of our podcast. We plan to do big things with our humble little projects such as going to trade shows, visiting other MMJ or recreational states, and doing on-field work. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for housing and equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. Again, that is www dot anchor dot fm it is dot fm not dot com slash i am cannabis sativa podcast slash support in today's episode is a special episode as we are going to be having a guest and a fellow medical marijuana patient on our show to get on our show today today we are going to be interviewing robert riley who is a medical marijuana patient from illinois with his unique journey Here's what you need to know about our guest before I play our interview together. Robert Wiley is a medical marijuana user and has been one since the middle of 2018 when he received his medical marijuana card in his home state of Illinois. He suffered an incident at his place of employment at around March of 2015. This This injury ruptured his L5-S1 disc and as a result ended up severely compressing his spinal cord and sciatic nerve down to his leg. Due to the difficulties in working with with his workers' compensation claims, the, the state of injury took about, took about over four and a half months before he was approved to get his back operated on and as a result of the time frame he was told he may have lasting nerve damage he had a laminectomy done in august of 2015 this surgery would allow his spinal cord room to room would allow his spinal cord room and to alleviate the pressure caused by his sciatic nerve as a result of the injury after three years of his new normal, requiring several doses of painkillers, muscle relaxers such as Lortab, Vicodin, Oxycodone, Percocet, and Naproxen, and supplementing them with over-the-counter medicines, he decided that enough was enough. With all the new knowledge of opioids and the addictive properties and the damages that they cause, he decided he was going to seek medical marijuana as an alternative. Medical marijuana helped Rob kick his daily doses of opioids and over-the-counter pain medicine. While he is still very secretive in, in his work environment, he considers himself an advocate for medical marijuana and speaks about his experiences candidly to anyone who will listen. Robert's trials and his medical condition have also recently instilled 
in him a new hope and a willingness to help others create positive change for their own lives. His experiences with his new normal and the life that he had taken away from him has inspired him to create his own podcast called Live the, Live the Hustle to help deliver the messages to others that 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 change has to come from within your own self. You cannot simply just wait or rely on someone else to help you. If you want change, you have to truly want change and you have to try to seek it out for yourself. Without further ado, here's our interview and here's our conversation um, with, with Robert Wiley and here's his sort of story and his journey. Enjoy. So I guess my first sort of like question to you um, would be, let me just give me one moment. All right, so how would you sort of describe your relationship to cannabis um, prior to using it as a medicine? When I was younger, you know, like most teenagers, I, I experimented with it a little bit here and there with some friends. Um, and then right around, I'm 42 now, so right around 21 was the last time I had done it until about four years ago. And four years ago, I was involved with a band and a couple of the members um, did it recreationally. So on occasion, I would do it during band practice recreationally here and there, but never as like a medicine before. And I think this is an important distinction that you can use it recreationally and not notice any medical benefits and and using it medically versus recreationally can be can be two different things yeah I, I totally agree with that yeah yeah for me like medically i've noticed that i don't need to do a lot of it um, i can do it minimally uh, you know just a small bowl if you would call it a bowl in a um, like a glass pipe and get all the medical benefits that I absolutely need from it without getting myself wasted or high, if you want to say it that way. I still get the positive effects, but you don't have to do it till you can't do any more, you know? And I find that important. But yeah, so about four years ago, I kind of dabbled in it again, but that was more recreational at band practice. And before that, it, it wasn't in my life for like 20 years. And was there a sort of like a reason to that? Was it just like, was it just it's illegality, or was it like your peers saying that you know, old you know people have a certain age don't do it anymore, or was it just yeah, a combination of things? For me, it was kind of a mixture. It was mostly the legality issue because I had this family, and I didn't want any to get in any kind of trouble, both with my job and that I've got three young daughters. Um, it, it wasn't worth the, the potential risk to get caught with it for me at that point. I see. So I, I kind of stayed away from it, and for good reasons. I mean, I didn't, there wasn't a need for it. It socially is unacceptable in, at those times. And I was, I was worried about raising my family because my wife wasn't working while she was raising the girls. And so my job was reliant on me being able to pass a drug screen, not getting injured, um, and avoiding 
those legality issues. So for me, it was an easy decision not to. And then when I when I got in the band with my friends and they were doing it recreationally, it was maybe three times a month that I would dabble with it. And even then, it was like one quick 10-minute break in the back, and we would do it before we would start. And then once we started playing, we didn't touch it again for the rest of the night. So by the time practice was over, all effects were gone, and everyone's quote-unquote sober again. And it was just a recreational pleasing thing to do at that point. Um, so like my, um, sort of like my, um, follow-up to that, um, what, what, so you said you were in a band, um, what, what, so what genre is it? And then like, what, what do you play? Yeah. Um, in the band, I originally started with guitar and then next thing you know, three of us were playing guitar. So it was like, okay, no one wants to not play guitar. So I'll volunteer and play bass guitar. And then all we need to do is find a drummer it started as like a jam session and then when we all started getting together and playing more and more it started to turn into hey let's make a band and go play out and this was when I was living in Florida and so at, at that point and we had the band going for about uh, when we first started together and then by the time we finished it it was about five years total but that first year and a half it was just beers and uh playing guitar and then when we really got serious and formed a band band uh, I started playing bass guitar so I played bass guitar in the band and the band was around playing live for about three and a half three three and a half to four years uh, before I moved up here to Illinois nice but yeah I'm a musician play bass play guitar play harmonica a little bit I can dabble with the drums but I've got a, a long interest in long history of interest in music ever since I was a kid so uh, music has always been important for me yep so would you say that like um, like marijuana sort of like enhances your you know music uh, brainstorming and just your performance or is it just something you guys just do that, you know that, for fun that's kind of how it that's kind of exactly how it started uh, one of my best friends is been a user his whole life and it's it's funny i'll go into this story because it kind of threw me and uh, i think you'll understand why when we me and my friend larry when we first started hanging out he invited me over to his house and i knew he was living with his girlfriend at his mom's house okay and i had thought his mom was at work and so we we had already been in the band already but he invited me over to his place because he's also an artist to look at some of his paintings and as I went over to look at his paintings um, he pulled some out and we had a quick little smoke session right and then his mom walks in <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh my god I can't believe this and she just grabs it and takes a big giant toke <laughs> it was really really it threw me and I wasn't prepared for it but it was really funny but yeah, he, he was raised that there's nothing wrong with it, and there's a lot of benefits to it. And he would always tell me, it's good for back aches, it's good for headaches, it's good for fluid motion, it's good for your joints, it's good for all these things. And it enhances like the musical experience. And so band practice, it, it kind of started that way to where we would all do it. And then we would just kind of noodle around, we called it noodling around 
tinkering. Everyone's just playing, and we're not really focusing on a certain song and trying to get that song down. Um, so that at that beginning, it was a great icebreaker for everyone to kind of get into the moment, relax, start free-flowing thoughts and ideas. So yeah, it, it definitely helps with the uh, musical process, yeah. Awesome. Um, so, so to sort of circle it back to sort of family and friends, um, so how would, how, how would you say like your family and friends reacted to your decision to try cannabis? Was there any sort of backlash or resistance to that? Well, when it was time to do it, I've already been on opioids for almost three years. So yeah, there wasn't really much backlash because, and this is only in the last year. The beginning of January is when I kind of started seeking the information and getting the approval to get my license here in Illinois. Because Illinois is a, I've always been told Illinois is one of the tougher states to get it to qualify for it. Yeah, that's what I've that's what I've heard. I've heard that yeah. you guys have to do like fingerprints and stuff. Fingerprints, background checks. Uh, you are not allowed to purchase. And to my understanding, this is anywhere, but I'm not. I'm no longer allowed to purchase a firearm because I cannot legally say that I do not do um, narcotics or whatever. Whatever the checklist is when you're doing a background check for a firearm. Um, but yeah, and everything. And as you probably know, none of this is covered under insurance because it's not FDA approved. Yeah. So you got to foot the bill. I mean, it's. In Illinois, I'm not sure how it is. Were you from Connecticut or Massachusetts or something? Massachusetts. Yeah. I'm not sure how it is there, but in Illinois, when you're going for it, you have three, I don't want to say term limits, that doesn't sound right, three time frames that you can get your license for, one year, two year, or three year. And, of course... As you get more years, or as you're getting your license for more years, it becomes a little cheaper. But even then, the three-year, with everything paid, um, including the two doctor's visits to go over everything and for the paperwork and submit everything, pay for the pay for the background check, pay for the fingerprinting because all that costs money, pay for parking tickets to or parking spaces to get everything. It was close to almost thousand dollars if i remember wow <laughs> just to get it and it's it's really shocking that as many people it is it is so much cheaper and easier to get opioids from a doctor than it is to get a naturally occurring plant yeah it's 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 it's, it's crazy and it's how much out. of the population would it benefit to get off of opioids quit killing yourself and your kidneys but you can't afford it if you if you're not in a position financially to be able to spend almost a thousand dollars, and then wait four months for the backlog of licenses to arrive, because you can't even use it until you have your license in hand. Um, how many people are put off by that and can't actually afford it? It's, it's pretty. It was kind of an eye-opening experience going through the process. Yeah, I mean it's just. It's crazy how expensive they make it in, in, in most of these states. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I, I've never heard of um, states doing like, sort of like, well, actually, I think Florida does a similar thing where 
or, or one of the or a couple other states or you get it for a certain period of time then you have to go back and but yeah I mean just like I mean even family members when I first got my own card um I told like my sister about it and she has like she has illnesses that would benefit from medical marijuana but um, yeah. she's she's helping to raise my I mean she's raising two kids on her own so like I told her how much it would cost to get a card she's like no no yeah there's it's when it when it's a point where it's a deciding factor whether or not you can do it or feed your kids or get daycare for your kids for the week or anything that's the biggest thing about it I mean it's a great process it's good you know there's a lot of good benefits to it but the big negative drawback more than the social stigma is the financial output you need to be able to help yourself you know because and everyone knows right now what the deal with opioids is I mean people are dying because they're addicted to it breaking in houses, stealing money just so they can get it off the streets because they've already went through 10 doctors. So it's it's, it's crazy. And we were, we were very open. Uh, my three kids are 14, 12, and 10. 16, 12, and 14, excuse me. Um, and we were very open. I told them what I was doing, that I have it. We, said, we had a nice sit down and I went over that it's legal. And it's, this is a medical necessity and I went through all the licensing and I qualify in the state of Illinois based on my injury and so it's not illegal for me to have it and use it and we had a nice big discussion about it and we answered me and my wife when I say we we answered any questions they had about it um, and we, we went over that so my entire family is aware of it and I think that's important too because the last thing we wanted is for the kids to go snooping around Christmas time and find Daddy's stash. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what would happen then? But yeah, so we decided to go ahead and let them know. And like a lot, a lot of times I hear like it's like they I mean so like the debriefing was went smoothly uh, from what you said, but um, a lot of times it's not even just like the family of the kids knowing. It's like the wrong parent, like the PTA association, finding out and then narking on you and yeah, just. Yeah, and we had to we touched base with that too. We we let them know this is a private issue, this is my privacy that we're dealing with, and I'm letting them know because I respect them. And if you have questions about it, girls, you know, ask me right now, and ask me at any point, but. Don't go running around telling everybody. This is not for anybody. This is just for me, and I have a medical necessity, and this is what it is. So they, they know all well not to go disclosing that information um, because it, it there is a negative stigma, and I don't want one of them having their friends come over and spend the night and not being allowed because their mom found out that you know their dad is a medical marijuana patient. So there, there's definitely some concerns about that, but, and that's why partly why we had the big discussion. We wanted to let them know what is in bounds, what is out of bounds. If anyone finds out, we just tell them your dad has a medical need. He's got nerve damage and a, and a spinal cord injury, which qualifies in the state of Illinois for this. And he's been taking medication for almost four years, and it's not good for him. So I think we covered that pretty well with all three of them. Nice.
Um, so, like, in, in, in getting medical marijuana, um, so I, I'm assuming they have, like, you have access to everything. It's like whole plant, right? It's not like, like, down the road, like Minnesota, where they can only get, like, pills and... Now, in Illinois, you cannot have the plant. Oh, really? Yeah, you can get... And I think I'm limited to... Oh, what is this? It's it's a large amount every month that I can get. It's like 76. Uh, I don't even know the measurements of everything. Grams or, or ounces. Whatever it is, it's a large amount. I'll never be able to use this much per month. Um, but it can be in form of flour, oil extract, edibles, um, anything except I cannot have a plant. I cannot cultivate my own plants. Oh, so no home grow. Right. It's a bummer. Yeah, and Illinois is talking about um, regulating it in the near future. Yeah, I just I, I heard um you're you got a governor elect that's for it and um. So, this should be. Well, they've been. They've, we've been in Illinois for three years now, and they've been talking about it the whole time we were here. But it seems like now, with the governor-elect, it's really going to be uh, accelerated onto the uh, legislative branches. So hopefully, here soon, it'll be less of an issue. But yeah. Um. So. So with that, um, are there are there like lawmakers like in your district or in like the surrounding districts throughout the state that you anticipate might be roadblocks? Are there like are there a group of politicians that are like, no, we, we shouldn't do this, or like is there a consensus that this needs to be done? From from what I've been able to ascertain through reading and, and hearing with the latest uh, election process recently. That it's it's not really um, no one's really against it. What they're trying to do now is consult with Colorado, consult with Washington, and all these other states, and it seems like they're trying to figure out the best way to tax it and where that they where they can distribute the money to to give the state of Illinois the best benefit. So it's they're in the they're in the heavy research phase as to how much they should be taxing and where will the best social benefit for those tax dollars be spent at is what it seems like everything's uh, boiling about right now. So it doesn't sound like there's much uh, resistance. It's more uh, a um, a consciously thought out game plan is being put in place on how to best enact it, is what it seems like. I see. Um, so do you have any, like, sort of, like, preferences as to, like, what you use? Are you, do you, are you more of, like, a smoker? Do you, are you more into edibles with, like, vape pens or tinctures? You know, I haven't tried the tinctures yet. I've done the edibles. Uh, they're good. They're really good for keeping me asleep, too. I don't know if you've tried that. Smoking is really good because it, it's pretty quick. It's a quick onset, but it doesn't last too long. So what I do, my biggest, here's, here's, a, here's a little scenario of my day. Based off of my, well, let me, let me start with my injury because I don't think I've gone over that yet. Um, I lifted a box that was approximately 35 pounds. 
put it on the shelf. I work in retail, and it was a return. And when I lifted the box, everything was fine. And then when I twisted to put it on the shelf, there was a pop, and then instantly a warm, wet sensation on my lower back. Ugh. And what it was, it was my L5-S1, which is the last vertebrae right before your tailbone. That disc ruptured. And when it ruptured, it crushed my, my uh, spinal cord and my sciatic nerve, because your sciatic nerves break down to both your, each of your legs at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and when it crushed and squeezed the jelly of my disc, as it was described to me, it, it crushed my sciatic nerve going down my right leg. So within three seconds, my right foot was numb with pins and needles sensation, and my right cramp felt like... You ever, you ever wake up in the middle of the night with a cramp in your leg? Uh, and you're just like slamming your hand on the ground trying to get it to go away and trying to stretch your leg out oh is it oh like sort of like that yeah and and it felt like i had pulled my hamstring now all this in the in the space of about five seconds and it lasted for four and a half months until i got my surgery wow so when i did sleep i would have nightmares of a dog biting my calf or a shark. I was swimming and a shark was biting my leg. Because when you're in constant 24-hour pain, your brain doesn't know what to do with it. And when you're asleep with that pain, your brain tries to find a way to associate what that pain is actually is. So when I did sleep, I would wake up kicking. I would kick my wife out of bed because my I would think a dog is biting my leg or a shark and I'm getting shark, shark attacks all the time. So sleep was out the window for four and a half months. And because it was workers' comp, there's this big, drawn-out process of getting the right approvals, going to this doctor, getting approval to see that doctor, waiting a month for that appointment, getting that appointment, then scheduling an MRI, then waiting a month for the MRI. Then the MRI comes back, and then you got to meet with the doctor again, so you have to reschedule that yada 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 four and a half months later time to get surgery and what they did for me is called a laminectomy and the easy way to describe it if you make a fist you can see your four knuckles right on the top right yep and if someone's bending over on their spine you can see those knuckles of the spine the outside portion of their spine their spine that is what they had to cut out of my back so that my nerve and my spinal cord had room and not and they weren't getting pressure put on them and so they had room to to heal basically Um, and they had to cut out all that disc jelly re-suture up all my disc cut out those two laminectomy pieces Uh, those pieces of your spine the knuckles on your spine when you bend your back are called lamina they had to remove two of those in my lower back. And so then it was almost six, five or six months before I was cleared to go back to work on an extreme light duty, like no lifting 10 pounds or anything like that, for another year. And then I was basically free and clear with nerve damage 
they called it 13% of a disability. 15% is when you get the actual um, disability tag for your license plate and a little hang placard for your car. But they called it 13% disability uh, due to lack of strength or whatever. Because my right leg is about 25 to 30% weaker than my left leg just because of the nerve damage that happened during the injury. Wow. So, so that was my injury. And then to deal with constant pain, because throughout the day, my life's kind of like an episode of Groundhog Day. In the mornings when I wake up, I'm a little stiffed. My back's a little stiffed. But I'm not in pain. So as I get out of bed, move around, at first, first 30 minutes to an hour, I'm a little stiff, but after that, I, I loosen up. And then I've got a, a Fitbit to wear because after about, and this is going on three years of monitoring it every day, when I hit between 12 and 14,000 steps, uh, I'm pretty much done for the day. I'll be sitting in a recliner the rest of the day because my back locks up and I get muscle spasms in my back and my right leg just cramps whenever it wants. So if I have to bend down to get a plate out of the dishwasher or anything, my leg will cramp. Um, there's all these ongoing issues because of the nerve damage of the crushing. Um, so that's what brought me to having to have to take basically opioids and over-the-counter pain medicines to supplement those opioids when they weren't working so great uh, for almost three years since my surgery. And, like, th throughout this time, were you, like, telling your doctors that, you know, the, the pills is just, I mean, maybe they were helping, but they weren't helping enough, and then did they continue throwing more pills at the... Yeah, I mean, first it was Vicodin, and then it was Hydrocodone, and, and Naproxen, and, you know, three or four different strains of opioids they would give me. And then they were like, well, take the opioids and then, then supplement it with, like, Tylenols between dosages, all kinds of weird stuff. And so I'd get to work, because you can't drive on opioids, so I'd get to work and take the opioids, and work in a doze half the day. And then on the way home, I'd pop uh, some more, and then I'd, I'd take some Tylenol. But when I was working full time, I would easily have about 12,000 steps before lunch hour a lot of times working in retail. Well, maybe maybe about 10, because it was within two hours of coming back from lunch that I was pretty much ruined. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a constant, excuse me, got a frog in my throat, a constant uh, mix of different things coming my way. So every couple months when it would be time for a new doctor visit and a new set of prescriptions, is this working great for you? Well, I mean, it works okay, but I really don't like how it's making me feel. Everything's dull. I can I can smash my finger in a car door and not know it. I don't want that. What's going on? You know, it was just a, a big constant headache. And where I was, there was at that point there was no medical marijuana in Florida. And when I moved here to Illinois and got a new primary care doctor that doctor didn't want anything to do with it. There, there was like this medical shunning that if a doctor 
were to prescribe it, they would be looked down upon by their peers or something. I don't know what was going on, but they were like, well, I don't prescribe that, or, well, I don't do that, but I can get you more Vicodin. Um, and I was like, well, this, is, this isn't going to work because I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Blow out my kidneys in the next five years. Um, and so I really started seeking out a, a doctor who was not ashamed of uh, being able to prescribe medical marijuana. And they were very knowledgeable about it, what it would do, what it would not do, how it would help me, how it would help me get off of uh, the opioids, um, and how it would help me start to get my life back together. Because when you take the opioids, you can't go driving. You're not supposed to. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can't do when you're on opioids losing too much of my life already because I can't run around with my kids. I can't play soccer. No more playing golf for me because of the back injury. Uh, so it was more of a quality of life issue. How do I improve my quality of life if I'm going to have this uh, irreparable damage for the rest of it? And that was getting off the opioids and, and getting part of my life back again. So that's kind of when I started to, to really seek out Um, so, sort, so, sort of, um, the, so what, what sort of forms did, did, did you take? So do you just go to the dispensary, get flour, or you said, you said earlier that you did edibles, but, or, or, or the edibles sort of, because I know in my market, like, I would, like, I, I primarily do smoking because it's the most economical, but I, I mean, I would pursue edibles or tinctures if they were cheaper. Is that is that kind of the same way that over there? Or? Very similar. What I usually do is I'll get flour for most of it. If if you're going to be doing some traveling and uh, in state, I will get um, vaporizers because it's very subtle. I mean someone thinks you're taking a puff out of a cigarette and, and then edibles uh, usually the edibles were more for bedtime and I've gotten kind of gotten away from them a little bit because what I'll do is I'll smoke right before bed um, with the nature of my injury it was very difficult to get comfortable in any position so standing for an hour or two my back starts tightening up if I sit for a little while sitting is the equivalent physically as bending over at 90 degrees it's just I'm not holding my body weight up bending at 90 degrees so that bend puts pressure on my spinal cord and my sciatic nerve so if I'm sitting for any long duration my leg starts cramping up getting really painful that way laying down I just can't get comfortable so I'm up tossing and turning all night long if, I, if I'm not on any kind of medication I know how that is <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you just you know it's, it's like a physical form of insomnia you just can't sleep because you, you hurt versus not being able to sleep it's a it's a different experience I guess but so for me throughout the day it's manageable um, until I get around 12, 14,000 steps 
after that, I need to start doing it. Um, and then just plop me down in my recliner. So I'm in a recline position, and I don't have muscle, my back muscles aren't being engaged to hold me upright or anything. And I can be in a recliner all night long and not really have any trouble. But as soon as I'm laying flat or trying to get comfortable, it doesn't work. So what I originally found is smoking some flour right before bed and then popping an edible, like in the form of a five, five milligrams and a little piece of chocolate. Because the flour gives you the immediate comfort. You know, it lasts for 45 minutes to an hour. But that, that edible kicks in after about an hour and it lasts a whole lot longer. So it'll last three and a half, four hours. So I'll be able to fall asleep pretty quickly, like within five or 10 minutes of smoking. And then when I pop that edible, it'll, it'll prolong that. And I won't wake up all night. I'll just like sleep until like the alarm goes off, which has been a lifesaver. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to give that a shot. Like perhaps um, maybe doing flour primarily and then using the edibles to sort of stay asleep. I yeah, might have yeah. to try that. Yeah, I have a friend whose son, is it his son? I think it's his son, um, owns a medical marijuana dispensary in California. And that's kind of how they recommend their patients with sleeping, dis sleeping disorders to do it. Because the flower will put you to sleep because you're comfortable. And the edibles will keep you asleep because the effects last so much longer. That's how I learned that little trick. And it, and it, it works. I guess sort of like my, um, sort of one of my, I guess one of my final questions to you would sort of be like, how did you sort of like get into sort of activism and sort of trying to advocate and tell your story? Well, because of how bad the opioids are. Um, and anyone living with pain, I, I can, there was four and a half months where I was in 24 hour pain. And there's no better way to develop humility and empathy for someone in pain than actually sharing a little bit of that pain for a little bit of time in the big scale of life. I couldn't sleep. I had a heart. I couldn't move. Anything I did hurt. It was really hard for four and a half months. I couldn't get out of bed. It was. My wife had to put on my shoes and tie my shoes. Um, it was miserable, and I can't imagine anyone dealing with that long term and taking medicine that basically is going to kill you. So that, that was a big eye-opener for me on the difference in how you feel on the medicine and off the medicine as far as opioids go. Because there's so much more to life than just being in pain all the time and taking medicine that dulls everything. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is medical marijuana, at least for me, the way it, it, it probably affects everyone a little bit differently. But when my back is hurting and my leg is cramping and I take everything about me is dulled I don't feel my fingertips as well I don't I can bite my lip and not really know it 
There's, there's a lot of things that are doled out that you lose sensation on everything. Medical marijuana, you still feel your injury. You still know it's there. But everything feels better. So it doesn't, it's not in the forefront of your mind anymore. So if I was on Vicodin and I was trying to pick up a book from the ground, I can bend down and pick up the book and not have any pain, but cause myself more pain. Because then you, you're not feeling it. it. Right, because you don't feel it. On the marijuana, I can do the same thing, but I, I know that it hurts, so I avoid it. And I, you know, change position or whatever, and I can get it up without saying to myself, okay, this is, doesn't hurt at all, and then go do it. No, you don't do it that way. You, then you can feel it. So you still, you still recognize the pain, but it's at a point where, where you know not to push it. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that it, it alleviates all your pain. It doesn't alleviate all your pain, but it keeps it at the front of your mind. But it, but it's nowhere near. It doesn't stick out as much because you feel good about it. It's it's uh. It doesn't numb everything. It doesn't heighten everything, but it heightens enough up that you're alleviated from the pain. I don't know if there's a good way to explain that, but. Yeah, I I I I. I, I... I, I understand what you're sort of saying. Um, I've heard other people with like the sort of chronic pain say almost verbatim what you said that they still feel pain, but they they're less depressed about it. You know, they're able yeah, to sort yeah. of cope better. The edge is off with with heightened senses rather than the edge off and everything else dulled as well. It's a it's a whole another level of pain management. The complete opposite of the way the medical industry typically does it. Oh, you got pain? Let's dull everything to get rid of your pain. This isn't that way. This is more of a heightening everything. And then your pain appears to feel less because everything else feels better. So it's a whole other way of looking and managing your pain, which is a lot better than the negative effects of opioids on the body. I can imagine so um, I guess that sort of wraps up what the, the sort of questions I, I had for you. Um, yeah. So that wraps up our interview with Robert. Um, we really had a blast doing this. And again, I, we thank him for coming on to the show and taking the time to discuss his journey and his story with medical marijuana. Um, if you want to appear in the in the podcast in the future feel free to email me again at i am cannabis sativa at gmail.com and as always everyone stay medicated my friends <laughs>